0: Sir Bagavato, Ara So, it's the half moon night in the first month of Vasa. We're coming almost to the first month of Vasa. Well, it's my turn to give reflection. I like the, I think the temple is the focal point of this monastery. And I think from the time I came to live in Namuravati in 2006, I have cleaned this temple. So I'm very used to the temple from the cleaning point of view but this is the first time I'm viewing the temple from this point so. so it's time to give a short reflection so I thought of talking about happiness and Sensuality, sensual pleasures. So we equate happiness to sensual pleasures. We have the eye, ear, nose. Tongue, body as external doors, and we take sense impressions from these five external doors, and these sense impressions. It's, it's a sign of beauty, because if we see something, we take the sign of beauty, and we have the perception of beauty. We have the perception of uh, pleasure. We have the perception of self. So something, if we see something beautiful, we think it, will use, it gives us pleasure, and we try to own it for ourselves. but it's not the sign of beauty which is the sensual pleasure. It's how we take the sign of beauty, how we think it will give us pleasure, and how we try to own it. So according to Buddha's teachings, uh, sensual pleasure is is described as... uh, in Pali, it says, purisa purisasakamo, that is, greed for thought is human beings' sensuality. So, this sensuality leads to, sometimes leads us to, <laughs> take us to unskillful states. So, these uh, five-sense doors, ne- it's, the exter- it's an external condition. The sign of beauty is an external condition. So, these five-sense doors need a stimuli. These doors need a stimuli, and that's the condition. But what we generate internally is the cause, so Buddhist teachings are, always, are all based on causes and conditions. Things arise out of causes and conditions. So what, as I understand the teachings, what we are supposed to do is understand the process, uh, examine the process without distraction, and... By examining this process without distraction, see how things work, understand the process without getting involved in the content. So by understanding this process, only we can overcome dukkha or cleanse our mind from defilements. So, uh, well, just to tell you, I was born in Sri Lanka, so I was open to, I mean, I learned the Dhamma in school, so I love the idea of lists. I mean, Buddhism has a lot of lists, and I love the idea of learning these lists. And also, there's a lot of repetition in Buddhist teachings when we chant like the Anathalakana Sutta or the Aditya Pariyaya Sutta, it repeats for each aggregate, each sense base. It's the same thing is repeated. And when I was studying, when I was learning Buddhism, I thought, how boring and how un... Why do we have to repeat the same thing over and over again? I was so deluded and arrogant. At that time, I couldn't see the value of it. Only now I'm beginning to understand the value of it. Because I think that's a very clever way of teaching, what the Buddha chose, to teach in that way by repetition. By hearing the same thing over and over again, I think at least something gets penetrated through this deluded mind. I think it's a very clever way of teaching. And now I really appreciate the fact that when we chant, that it's repeated so many times, which I found was so boring. And I was so annoyed, in fact, in my childhood to have these repetitions. And now I can see how deluded and how arrogant I was. Not They're still there, but to see it from that point of view when I first heard it. So I'll take one of the lists that I have learned. This is the five aggregates. And also I feel the lists, this is my, I think this is how I see it. The lists are formed in such a way, I feel the more the coarsest is at the top. And as we go down the list they become subtler and subtler so when you take the five aggregates first you have the form and form is very coarse i mean we can all see the form but feeling perception mental formations and consciousness the consciousness is the most subtle one so that's how i see maybe not all the lists that is available but some of the list, when I think of it, maybe that 's how it 's formed that 's how this is my own <laughs> view. So I thought of talking about feelings, the aggregate of feeling, because we are creatures of feeling, and uh, Buddha categorized feelings in many different ways i mean one point he said there are five feelings, six feelings, nine feelings, 108 feelings. But the basic one I just want to concentrate on today is the three feelings we have, we all have. The pleasant feeling, the unpleasant feeling, and neither pleasant nor unpleasant feeling, the neutral feeling. So... How these these feelings arise? So, really, when we see something from the eye, we take the sense impression, the sense, uh, the sense impression of the beauty. We take beauty as a impression, but it's not the beauty that bring, uh, becomes sensual pleasure. It's greed we have for the thought. This is according to Buddha's teachings. It's it's the beauty is out there. Beauty itself doesn't do anything. So it's the greed for the thought because we see the we have the perception of beauty. We have the perception of pleasure. We immediately think, oh it's beautiful, it will give us pleasure and I have to make it mine. So the perception of beauty, the perception of Pleasure, the perception of self, is the one that we need to examine and understand that process in order to overcome the dukkha. So, so the pleasant feeling arises out of uh, pleasurable objects, but these objects are mainly decided according to our preference because something which is, which is pleasurable to me may be very awful for somebody else so according to our own preferences we have these agreeable object disagreeable disagreeable object or a neutral object so a disagreab- and agreeable object brings us a feeling of pleasure the sukha vedana and a disagreeable object gives us dukha vedana, the painful feeling and the neutral object gives us adukkama sukha vedana, the neutral feeling. So our experience is based on this object. And then, what Buddha was trying to explain about the aggregate of feeling is that all feelings end up in dukkha, unsatisfactoriness. Because not any of these feelings bring us Lasting satisfaction or lasting happiness. And he went to explain it further. How we come to, or how it's seen in that way by the Buddha. So when we see a pleasant object, we have a contact of pleasant feeling. And a pleasant feeling arises. Then the lust arises. Then we have thoughts of sensual pleasure. With the with the lust arising, we have thoughts of sensual pleasure. But then, it can change. The sensual pleasure can change because it depends on an external stimuli, stimulus. So, if it is dependent, if the happiness is dependent on something, it cannot bring us long-lasting happiness. Because when the conditions change, naturally, our feelings change. So we may start with a Pleasant object, having pleasant feelings, but it cannot satisfy us forever. So we experience the painfulness in change with a pleasant feeling. What happens is, in the end, we experience the painfulness in change because our eyesight will not be the same the object not will be the same as time goes on. So these pleasant, the beauty, and trying to make it mine, we cannot keep that going because as we get older, our vision, our hearing, we all lose that. So when we lose that, that very object that brought us pleasantness become a disagreeable object. We get angry because we have lost our capacity to see things properly, hear things properly. So that very object that brought us pleasure brings us anger. So then the disagreeable object could be that it's the fact that we can't have what we want becomes the disagreeable object and we experience painful feelings. So we start with pain and end up with pain. So with the disagreeable object, we experience the pain, fullness in pain. Pain. Because we start with pain and we end up with pain. So we can take our own examples for in day-to-day life situations to understand the pleasurable feeling and the unpleasurable feeling. And then we have the neutral, the object which is neither pleasurable nor unpleasurable, and with that so we have no we have a neutral feeling towards it we have a neutral contact a neutral feeling with with the agreeable one we had the Happiness, the disagreeable one, we had the anger, so that's related to greed and hatred. But with the neutral object, we have the neutral feeling, and that's where delusion arises, according to the Buddhist teachings. So we have the root of delusion it's neither pleasurable no unpressurable it's neutral we haven't experienced it before we don't know it so if you take an example if you're sitting on a uh, neither it's neither uncomfortable nor comfortable but we can put up with it we have enough equanimity for to sit on that chair it's called the onlooking equanimity it's not, it's equanimity born of delusion, vija, because as soon as we see another more comfortable chair, we're very happy to move. So it's that equanimous feeling is only for that particular chair we sit on, which is neither comfortable or uncomfortable. Because we think there's something better than this. That's how, that's what, how delusion works. So we are trying to construct something better than what we have. Okay, I'm happy, I'm, just, I'm happy to sit on this chair, that's what I have. But I'm happy to move to the next chair which is more comfortable. So that's delusion. Because the grass is always green on the other side. We are not happy with the job we are having. We are not happy with the husband or the wife or the child or the house or the car or the monastery constantly there's something better so that Buddha called it that is the painfulness in constructions because we are constantly trying to construct something better this is not good enough there's always something better than this. So that is the the way greed, hatred and delusion uh out of greed, hatred and delusion, how pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral feelings arise according how Buddha saw it. So this is to be contemplated and reflected upon for us. So we can uh, take more examples like the sensuality can also lead to because of sensuality we have the perception of pleasure and that can lead to covetousness wanting s- somebody else has if you see something good if you see something beautiful I wish I have it and then that can lead to many other things. So covetousness can lead to ill will, because if we can't get it, naturally we have ill will towards the other person. Because I don't have it, the other person is having it. And it can lead to competition, jealousy. So these are things that sense pleasures can take us to. So with competition and jealousy and ill will, we get into uh, unskillful states of minds. So this is the nature of sensuality. Because of sensuality, covetousness arises and ill will arise and competitiveness arises. So, which lead to unskillful states of mind. So, we can take uh, examples like in families. You know, sometimes between if you have a husband and a wife, a husband, well, one person might want to f- watch a football match, or one person might want to listen to a dhamma talk. So the one who listens to the Dhamma talk can generate skillful states of mind, but one who watches the football game or any other game can generate uh, greed and hatred because when you watch the game, when the team is winning, there's greed, and when the team is losing, there's anger and jealousy. So it's entirely up to us to choose the right object in order to cultivate skillful states of minds, we have the capacity to do that. And you can see sometimes when children, they're playing computer games and if they're disturbed, they get angry because they're separated from their agreeable object. As soon as they're separated from the agreeable object, the anger arises. And it can happen to us here as well when we want a quiet moment. If we are disturbed, we can watch anger arising. So it's very much experiential. This Dhamma is very much experiential. We are supposed to watch the experience, understand the process of this experience. That's that's the work. Because that's something I've realized because I was doing it part time before when I was a lay person, because I was following the Buddha's teachings, which I understood some, but I don't didn't understand all of it. I parked a lot of things and uh, When I took it full-time, that is, taking the Samana life, only I kind of uh, went into meditation in a different way. And I realized how much the meditation is helping. One has to know the teachings, it's true. One has to read it and understand it, know the teachings but one until one experiences it it doesn't make any sense really uh, in the sense of overcoming dukkha by reading the teachings or knowing the teachings one can never overcome the dukkha because there are so much so many people who have heard the four noble truths but have they all overcome the dukkha even Well, I have heard it, but I haven't overcome the dukkha. So it's through meditation only one can see it and understand it. So it is the contemplation and the reflection of the Dhamma that can really help us to overcome the dukkha. Can think of another example because uh, for neutral feelings because uh, people who have done house hunting might know because we go for one house we look at it or the kitchen is small or the garden is not facing the south or the neighborhood is not good and we keep weaving houses one after the other but in the end we are so tired and uh, the mind is tired we end up choosing something we saw before which was not good but we settle for the second best. So we ca- we know we can't get the perfect one so we settle for the second best and settling for the second best there's a pain associated with it. So that is the Neutral feeling of dukkha, which is called adukkama sukha, feeling. Because there is a pain associated with this. We we settle for the second best, but there's a pain associated with it. So that is the pain, the dukkha, this Buddha's teaching is always talking about. Nothing is good enough. The lacking we lack something all the time. And uh, I was away in from the end of twenty nineteen. Uh, for more than a half one and a half years, I think, yes. I came back in two twenty twenty one twenty twenty one, last year. I was with my mother because uh, she asked me to come and spend some time with her. She was 98 at that time. And uh, it was a very useful and uh, beneficial time for me, seeing her old age and her suffering due to old age. I didn't very much enjoy staying in a household environment, I must say, but it was very beneficial in the end, because I had time to spend some in monasteries and I had time to be on my own, maybe about four to five months I had on and off, being on my own and being in monasteries, but living in the household environment was not easy, but I learned a lot by being with her. How much she was struggling with the old age, she's lost her authority, she was trying to get it back, And it was very painful. She was trying to live as she was living before. That is a lady who had poor noble truths from day one. Well, she was a Buddhist. I mean, she's the one who raised us with Buddhist values. But she hasn't understood it. So she was struggling with it so much, suffering from old age. And that taught me a lot. And I really, uh, I have a lot of gratitude for my parents and I really value that time I had to be away from the monastery. And something I really value and treasure. Because learning through experience is far more uh, superior than learning through books. I mean, Dhamma is something to learn through experience. So going back to the greed, hatred, and delusion, Lama well, said, say, in this lifetime I have learned a lot through um, old age, sickness, and death, so my mother helped me to understand the Dukkha of old age. I'm really grateful to her, she's still living, I'm not with her at the moment, physically. So I'm really grateful to her. Anyway, going back to the greed, hatred and delusion, I consider it as three belts. I I like to compare the mind to a vehicle. (coughs) A vehicle runs through rotation of parts. So I think greed, hatred and delusion are three belts that run our mind. Well, we generate wrong thoughts through greed, hatred and delusion and that helps the consciousness to flow. So the consciousness is maintained and it flows with the help of thoughts arising out of greed, hatred, and delusion. So, one who has eradicated greed, hatred, and delusion is considered to be an arahant. So, and uh, remembering something so I was talking about feelings, how the feelings never satisfy us, the fleeting nature of feelings, as one of the kandas, And Buddha compared the feelings to a water bubble. I mean, that's a good analogy, because uh, when it rains on a puddle of water, when the water hits a puddle of water, a water bubble is formed, and it disappears within seconds. And more water hit the puddle, another bubble is formed. So there are bubbles and bubbles of water water forming on the water puddle, and they appear and disappear. And that's how Buddha said to look at feelings. So when you think of the simile, and think how feelings arise, because feelings arise, the main thing is the form, because we, the, the signs we take, the features we take from a, the eye, it's mainly a form, yes, most of the time, I think. But form is made out of four elements. So it's, a, it's something which changes all the time. So we are seeking happiness in something that changes all the time. that's how deluded we are. And you think of it from, by examining the teachings. Well, the other day I was asked a question about respect and bowing. So I thought I'll talk about it. Well, when I bow to a Buddha statue, I'm not, definitely I'm not bowing to a Buddha statue. (coughs) I bow to the fact that a Buddha was... born and out of compassion for all sentient beings. He came into this world and discovered the truth for himself and for the sake of helping human beings who have little dust in their eyes. And that quality of a Buddha having that kind of compassion for human beings, that's the quality I'm bowing to, and that's the quality I'm generating within me when I bow to a Buddha statue. I'm not bowing to a statue, or there is no Buddha now, so it's just remembering the quality of the Buddha (coughs) and generating that quality. That's what bowing is for. And it's the same... With elders, when we bow to elders, it's not that I'm bowing to a person. It's out of respect that they are elders. They have done this before us. It's the quality of respect that is generated through the bowing. It's not a person. Well, that's how I see it. And I hope I can do that every time I bow. Maybe sometimes I don't, but that is the. that's what it's meant for. But I try to remember that. So as I said, I have I have a lot of passion for Dhamma and when I was in Sri Lanka I had a lot of opportunity to study the Dhamma and a lot of free time. So I have lost lot of passion for Dhamma and I find it we chant it's it's the Swakata Sandhitika, Akalika Dhamma, because it's well expounded. It can be experienced at the moment. And the other thing is the Dhamma has never changed. I mean, when I was growing up, I can remember the, sign, the scientists. They once they said, "Oh, you removing tonsillitis is good," and ten years later say, "No, no, no, no. You shouldn't remove the tonsillitis. It should be kept." But the Four Noble Truths have never changed. I mean, Buddha attained. Uh, he became. He r- attained Buddhahood, and the first sermon he expounded was the Dhamma Chakapatana Sutta the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path he never said after 10 years or after 40 years sorry I got this wrong No, it's the same thing he preached for the 45 years so what he saw is the truth he has seen it and he has experienced it and he taught it it's not based on any theory he didn't have to change it during the 45 years, or after 2600 years it's still greed-headed and delusion is greed-headed and delusion. Four noble truths is four noble truths, and the Eightfold Path is Eightfold Path. And I'm very grateful I had this in this lifetime, maybe I had it before as well, I don't know, but I may have messed it up many times, so I hope I don't mess it up this time. I'm very grateful that I have the with his teachings in this lifetime and I have the opportunity to practice with here with you all. And we are like to end this with this. Thank you for your attention. And if it's useful please take it. If not, leave it behind.